Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we continue on in the study we're doing now through the Old Testament, and we're, uh, we're making good progress. We are 47 chapters now into the book of Genesis. We, um, we started over six years ago in the New Testament, and we worked our way through the New Testament a chapter at a time in just about five years. And then we've started this 15-year journey into the Old Testament, and we're about a year in because there was a few Wednesdays when I didn't get to the study for this reason or that. But um, we're 47 chapters in, and we should be done with Genesis by the end of the month, and then we'll be moving into the Exodus, which is very cool. Um, and so we, we continue to plug on into our journey um, of what we're doing. Now, I've always, And I, I, I tell you, it, the value of looking through the Scripture this way is context. Um, that's why we did the, old, the New Testament the way we did. We, we, when you look at it that way and you read it chapter by chapter, you get context for what's happening, and that keeps us safe so that the Scripture isn't easily twisted um, uh, on us by um, other people or by the enemy. We know that one of the enemy's favorite tricks is to twist Scripture just a little bit. Uh, if you, we were actually studying at the, the Venture Out study I do on Wednesday mornings today, Luke 4, of the temptation... And we see the enemy doing exactly that, taking the truth and twisting it. Uh, but, uh, you know, Jesus knew the truth and was able to speak the word into that situation. So we study the word so that we make sure we, we understand what it means and, and use it in the way that it was intended to be used. Uh, and so context really helps us with that situation. Having studied the New Testament, now we can go back into the Old Testament and a lot of it is, is going to make sense to us because we looked at glimpses of it in the New Testament. So uh, Genesis, a great book, great way to get things started. There's things I've told you every week that I continue to repeat because I want you to, when we're done with Genesis, remember just a few things of everything's there because the reason I give you these things is it will help you put parts of the Bible where you can get them in your memory and you can go and look for them when you need them. And so in Genesis, what you need to remember is four main events, four main people, and and one big theme, all right? So I say that every week. So you should just have this now. You, oh, that's, that's no problem. I know what he's going to say. Good. So the four main events in Genesis are creation and the fall and the flood and the Tower of Babel. Four main events, all those take place in the first 11 chapters. Beginning in Genesis 12 now, the, the, the story becomes about four main characters. And I always say that people go, what about Adam and Eve and stuff? They're a big part of the whole story. Don't get me wrong. But, but, uh, for Genesis, now what you need to remember are these four main characters, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the patriarchs. That's how they're known. Joseph is the one God uses to save Israel, in effect, from everything that's going on and get them into a spot where they could multiply. Um, Joseph is not in the, um, in the line, though, of succession. You know, that's Judah because Jesus comes out of that line. Um, uh, uh, descendants. The, um, it fulfills the promise. And that, that theme then that we're talking about, the main theme is called the uh, crimson thread of redemption that starts in Genesis 3.15 right after the fall. And it works its way through the entire Old Testament. You're going to see this thing keep, keep just demonstrating itself all the way to the cross where, where redemption takes place for us. Okay? So, so in Genesis, try and just, you know, keep room for those things. Because there's a lot of other stuff, obviously, but if you can kind of hold those in there, it'll be helpful. Um, I try and look at the Bible that way, so when someone asks me a question or I, I think of something, if I can sort of 
have an idea of where I should look for that verse, it's very helpful. I may not know the exact address, but I'll have an idea of, okay, that sounds like something that happened in this book or that book or this book around this time, and then I can sort of narrow it down. Of course, nowadays, you can just Google it, and it's a lot easier, but still. <laughs> it still doesn't hurt to learn, right? So, I just Google it. What I, I read somewhere the other day, the hardest thing, if, if a time traveler from the future came, uh, no, no, wait, wait. If a time traveler from the past came up to the future, that one of the hardest things we'd have to explain to them is how it's possible that we have an instrument we carry around in our pockets that actually makes available to us the entire wisdom of mankind known to man, and we use it to watch cat videos. <laughs> that it would be hard for us to explain that. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Thought for the day. Think about it. Now, next time you watch cat videos, you're going to feel funny. I could be learning something really important right now, but no. <laughs> I'm watching cat videos. Okay. So, now, um, boy, we've looked at a lot through Genesis. But just, you know, just recently, we've, we've seen the whole thing. We've been looking at Joseph's life. And if you remember... When Joseph was 17, his brothers sold him into slavery. They didn't like him because he had these dreams that, that one day they would all bow to him and they, that he was already his dad's favorite and they didn't care for that. And so um, they got an opportunity. They got him off by himself and uh, tossed him in a pit. And then um, they were talking about they were going to kill him and then they decided they'd just sell him instead and sold him into slavery. Uh, they didn't see him for 22 years-ish. Uh, and then there's a, Joseph, you know, he's, think of, see, it's Joseph's faithfulness that is really the heart of this, this part of the story. And his faithfulness affects his entire family because they're not the, the uh, picture of faithfulness. So, um, so, you know, just to remember, so he's sold into slavery and then he, um, he becomes head of a house because he's so, you know, he does well, God's blessing is with him. And then he's falsely accused of attacking the wife of the house. He's thrown into prison. There in the prison, he he's, he's raises up to be sort of running the prison under the, the warden, but he's still stuck in prison, can't be who he wants to be. Um, divine series of things happen. He can interpret dreams. Pharaoh has a dream. He finds out about Joseph, brings him up. Joseph tells him what the dream is, seven years of, of uh, uh, fasting or, or uh, uh, fan, f- plenty. Seven years of plenty, I can't get the word out, but, but, uh, and then seven years of famine, okay? And um, that's what's going to happen, and uh, it comes to pass, and Pharaoh puts him in charge. Because you interpret the dream, he said, you be in charge, because he tells him what to do. And so Joseph collects all the grain for seven years that he can, stores it up, and then, sure enough, the famine comes, and, and Egypt has grain, and people from all over the world are coming. Of course, they're coming to buy the grain, and um, Joseph sells the grain back to all the people he's collected it from on behalf of Pharaoh. At the end of the famine, Pharaoh owns everything and everybody. They're all, they've had to sell themselves into slavery into Pharaoh. So, uh, so that's taking place in Egypt as this story moves along. But um, uh, Joseph obeys God in these situations. He's faithful time after time after time. And, and uh, even though, it's, you know, we, we can only imagine he, he couldn't understand all of these events. But, uh, but over time, so he's in position. The brothers come because they're experiencing, two years into the famine, they're experiencing famine in Israel where, where they're staying in, in uh, Canaan. 
They come. Joseph sees them. He doesn't let on who he is, um, and they don't know at first. And he tests them to see if there's been any change, and there has been change um, in their attitudes. And once he's seen that, he thinks that they're trustworthy. He reveals himself to his brothers. It's a big reunion. They go off to get Jacob, and um, now Jacob is on his way. Uh, and we, we saw that happen last time. And so they reunited in chapter 46. Uh, and and um, now they encounter Pharaoh in, in Gen- Genesis 47. So let's, I'm going to read it to you, and then we'll, we'll talk about it for a few minutes on the other side. 31 verses. I'm reading out of the NIV. You can read along in whatever. The NIV is in the notes, and uh, we'll probably show up on the screen. If there's a difference between what I read and what's on the screen, it's because upstairs they use the... 2011 version of the NIV, and I use the good one, which was done in 1984. And I refuse to change. (laughs) Verse 1, Joseph went and told Pharaoh, my father and brothers with their flocks and herds and everything they own have come from the land of Canaan and are now in Goshen. He chose five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked the brothers, what is your occupation? Your servants are shepherds, they replied to Pharaoh, just as our fathers were. They also said to him, we have come to live here a while because the famine is severe in Canaan and your servants' flocks have no pasture. So now, please let your servants settle in Goshen. Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. And if you know of any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the the years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the the district of Ramses, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan, Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying, and he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of all the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is used up. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses. 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 (laughs) Oops. (laughs) Sorry, sometimes I make myself laugh. their sheep and goats, their cattle and donkeys. And he brought them through that year, he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, we cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there's nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes? We and our land as well. Buy us and our land in exchange for food and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die, and that the land may not become desolate. So Joseph bought all of the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, 
And Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. However, he did not buy the land of the priests because they received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had food enough from the allotment Pharaoh gave them. That is why they did not sell their land. Joseph said to the people, Now that I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you so you can plant the ground. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. The other four-fifths you may keep as seed for the fields and as food for yourselves and your households and your children. You have saved our lives, they said. May we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So Joseph established it as a law concerning land in Egypt, still in force today, that a fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. It was only the land of the priests that did not become Pharaoh's. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt. But when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Blessed be the word of the Lord. It's a pretty fascinating chapter of Scripture. And um, so the family is reunited now uh, here, and, and um, it's, it's a neat story. Um, Joseph... You know, has, had carefully, if you remember in the last chapter, briefed his family on what it meant to be a shepherd in Egypt. And, and, um, and so, you know, it was obvious they were going to continue their occupation there, but they needed to, you know, present this to Pharaoh. Remember that, that shepherds were detestable to the Egyptians. We saw that last chapter. It's kind of an interesting thing. You know, welcome to the land, but we hate you. Uh, <laughs> so, well, we like your son, so you're going to stay but over there. Um, and then um, also, you know, it's, uh, it, it's pretty cool that they all become, they, they go from, you know, basically coming and having nothing, and, and Pharaoh gives them all jobs taking care of the, the livestock and the herds in the process. So it's uh, pretty cool that that happens. They come in, and they're just above board, and they're dealing with Pharaoh. This is who we are. This is what we do. We don't know which of the five brothers Joseph selects. Um, not, not that it really matters. Sometimes they, people think it was the five oldest or the five that had the most integrity. We don't know, but, but um, Joseph knew, and um, he, he wanted the five that were going to make the best sort of impact on Pharaoh, certainly. And uh, Pharaoh keeps the promise that he'd made. He gives them the best of the land for their families and their flocks and herds and, and requests that they care for his herds as well. So, again, big promotion for the, uh, for the sons of Jacob. Uh, one day, um, you know, they just sort of come in uh, as foreigners, and pretty much the next day, they're Pharaoh's official herdsmen. So, pretty big deal. Uh, Joseph has been kind to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh shows kindness to Joseph's family. So, we see that sort of happen there in the first six verses. Now, the encounter then in, in verses 7 through 10 is with uh, Pharaoh and Jacob. And so, Pharaoh... Um, must have been pretty excited to meet Joseph's father. Certainly Joseph had talked to him about it. And, uh, the, you know, we've known that they've been talking about this now for the last little period of time. Uh, and, um, 
Uh, <clears throat> Jacob, you know, who's got a lot of, he misses it fairly often, as we all do, gets it right often too, which is good. There's a, there's a balance. And when he comes in, um, the first thing he does is he blesses Pharaoh in the name of his God, our God, Jacob's God. And um, he also blesses Pharaoh again at the end of their interview. And um, it's, a, it's a great picture of, of you know, um, knowing that he brings, you know, ultimately God with him into this situation. And uh, he, he uses his words and blesses Pharaoh um, in this process. And it's sort of a reminder to everybody of, of, you know, what's really going on in the situation. And Jacob's family, uh, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, one thing that sort of describes their life, because uh, you know, I, I think sometimes we look at life, people have different ways of looking at life, like it's a, like it's a battle or a race or a puzzle or, uh, you know, some people think it's probably a trap or something. Um, but, but Jacob's metaphor for life, and, and so Abraham and Isaac, was that they were on a pilgrimage. And, and the patriarchs were, were pilgrims and, and strangers on the earth. You know, that's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. Um, but, but ultimately, you know, why that's important is all of us as believers in Christ are, are pilgrimage people. Um, this is not our home. And, and uh, this is all temporary. And it's sort of important for us to remember that. So, you know, um, our time here is actually brief and temporary. And we're, we're eagerly looking for our permanent home which is the city of God in heaven. That's what the writer of Hebrews talks about, if you remember, uh, you know, in, in Hebrews uh, 11. And, and um, we touched on this Sunday. Um, as believers in Christ, we're citizens of heaven, and there's something very, very real about that. And, and as good as this can be here in Christ, this is never as good as it gets. There will always be in us a, a longing for what's coming, and when we know what that is, that's okay. Then we can deal with that. We don't have to try and fill it with things that will never fill it. We can let that go. Okay, well, that's just me. I'm, I'm on a... And, and so we're pilgrimage people. We're on a pilgrimage. We're, we're moving forward, and there's something about that that keeps us from getting settled uh, in a way that, that stops us from being um, and living the kind of life that we're called to. You know, we're supposed to be content, but, but, but that contentment comes from the reality that this is not as good as it gets. What's coming is better. We can enjoy what's, what's going on now. We need to be grateful for that, but not get the things confused. Um, and so J- Jacob talks about pilgrimage, and he says something fascinating, uh, that his years have been few and difficult. Uh, when he says that his years have been few, he's 130 years old. So, um, and the, the patriarchs genetically lived, were still living pretty long, um, longer than, than the Egyptians were living at that period in time. And so when, when Pharaoh meets him, he probably thinks 130 years is not a few years. Um, that's a pretty good run. Um, but it's not as long as uh, Abraham and Isaac had, had lived. Um, if you remember, Isaac dies when he's 180, and Abraham dies when he's 175. So maybe in comparison, he's saying, well, just, just 130, uh, you know, not like dad. Um, <laughs> But he's got another 17 years coming. I think that's an interesting number, 217. I don't know if you noticed. Because Joseph, uh, Jacob got to enjoy Joseph for the first 17 years of his life. 
and then he's going to get a 17, another, another 17 year chunk. He misses out 22 in the middle. But I, I kind of think that because um, not that Joseph is going to die, but Jacob is going to die 17 years later. But it's, I think it's significant that there's a, there's a meaningful restoration of what takes place there and that, that these 17 years, um, we believe, would, would have been years of a very a, a great time of peace and happiness for Israel and his family. And, and um, you know, Jacob, uh, when Joseph, when you read about um, how he administrates this whole process, this famine, uh, and, and um, you know, the times of plenty and the times of famine, uh, it's fascinating. And, and, uh, and how in a land devoted to the worship of numerous false, false gods and goddesses, uh, that, that it was very important to Joseph that his family um, bear you know, witness to the true God by their conduct and the way that they lived in this whole area. And that was important to Joseph. And it's, uh, it's important for us today. That's why we talk here about living by doing the next right thing. It makes a difference um, to the, in, in the world around us uh, on the way it impacts God. So um, verses 11 and, and following there for a little while, um, Pharaoh allows Joseph's family to settle in the best part of Egypt. They were more than adequately cared for. Um, and, and yet the Egyptians at that time, they had to pay dearly just to remain alive. And so the remaining five years um, of the famine came and went. The people became poorer and poorer. Um, and and, and they, they had to sell. They, so they gave all their money away. They gave all their livestock away. They gave all their land away. And they, they actually literally sold themselves to Pharaoh uh, and to, to continue to get food. And so think about it now. Pharaoh possesses all the money in Egypt. He owns all the people. He owns all their property except for the land of the priests. And then Joseph says, okay, and now what's going to happen is from now on, um, you're going to pay a fifth back to Pharaoh forever. It's all his now anyway. So 20% is what Pharaoh's going to collect off of everything they produce. And he said, you can keep the rest so you can have it for seed and food and everything. But 20% from now on, right off the top, coming back to Pharaoh. So if you were Pharaoh at this point in time, you've got to be thinking to yourself, now this was a good deal. <laughs> because in this seven years and seven years, uh, even though it was a hard time, I, it's all mine now. I got it all. Everybody, everything, every scrap, all belongs to Pharaoh. Uh, and it's set up so that he can control everything. So, well, why is that happening? Well, all of that was in place so that the, the people of Israel, the family of Israel, could be put in this land that was going to be really good to them and very fertile for them, and they're going to multiply there. The, the, the 70 that came in, 400 years later, are going to be 2 million. And, and they'll be a nation when they leave. Now, at some point, the situation changes, and they go from being these honored guests to actually becoming slaves themselves, but that's probably the impetus that gets them moving so that they exit. It's, you know, what prompts the exodus. And uh, you'll see them go out complaining even then because they, they'll get out in the middle of the desert and start missing stuff like salt. Wait till we read that in Exodus. You're going to... It's one of the things that freaks me out. They get out there free finally from the... And the burden of slavery they were under is horrific. And they get out there for a little while and they go, yeah, we don't have any salt. We want to go back. I think they had an issue. <laughs> so, um, 
So they're multiplying now. And uh, at least two million when they leave, God's promised. Remember, he's going to make them a great nation, and he does. And yet, another thing I want you to make sure you see is that Pharaoh, um, he, he was a pagan ruler. He worshiped false gods, and yet God was able to use him to accomplish his purposes. This is significant because we, we sometimes forget how powerful God is. And we, we want to limit him all the time. Uh, but, but God is able to use uh, a variety of situations to bring the outcome that he wants to have happen. And, and so um, you'll see throughout the Old Testament, God, God worked in, in uh, and through unbelieving leaders like Pharaoh, Cyrus, Nebuchadnezzar, and, uh, and uh, you know, even in the New Testament, like Augustus Caesar and stuff. God orchestrated events through these guys that weren't godly um, in order to make and accomplish his plan. Uh, and uh, then as we get to the end there, Jacob enjoys Joseph for 17 years. Uh, he did, you know, in Hebron, that's back in 37. He gets 37 years in Egypt. In 47, um, you know, his son's horrific nature and sins had stolen that 22 years in the middle of Joseph's life. But God had worked out this plan, and I, I think it's significant that he gets that that 17 years on the back end of that whole process. And then when Jacob knows that his days are numbered, he wants to be sure he's going to be buried in the promised land. And um, he makes uh, Joseph promise him, which he does. And um, that's where he wants to be. And we'll see how that all comes to pass here in the next couple of chapters. But that's enough for today. If you're watching my video, thank you. Appreciate you doing that. Come and visit us when you can. If you need prayer, go to the website. There's a place for you to put your prayers in. We will pray for you. Uh, 